The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up as an only child in a poor family. When she was born, she was named after a famous woman pilot and grew up believing she was related to her. With this in the back of her mind, she secured her private and commercial license to fly. And then she started training in secret to fly around the world. Most would tell her this was impossible, but her mom taught her the word can't was not a word she was ever to use. So she raised the money she needed, and for 18 days, she flew 28,000 nautical miles around the world. Today, she is walking her path to greatness as she teaches others how to set their goals high while not being tied to an identity. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Amelia Earhart. Hi, Amelia. Thank you for joining me today. Annette, thank you so much for having me. What a beautiful introduction. I, it's such, it's so surreal listening to my life story in that context. Thank you. Well, you're, I'm excited to, to share all your wisdom today. And we have limited time together and you have such a fascinating journey. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Let's do it. So you grew up believing you were related to Amelia Earhart, but found out later this was not true. So what did you learn about this from the dangers of being tied to an identity? You know, being given the name Amelia Earhart as a child was a big weight to carry. Imagine if you're five years old and little Amelia Earhart gets introduced to an adult. The first thing that every adult would say to me was, boy, your name's Amelia Earhart. You better be a pilot someday. You better learn to fly. You better someday fly around the world, right? Because being given this name, my parents wanted it to be a gift, right? A challenge to greatness, to inspire curiosity and adventure. And it was less about a bloodline connection and more just that symbolism of having somebody great to look up to. But I don't know if they really understood the pressure it would put on me. So carrying that name, I truly felt like I had to live that legacy out. And while there are all other Amelia Earhart's out there in the world, believe it or not, um, I'm one of the only <laughs> that was taken to the skies and decided to take it this far. So I think it came from within myself, too. And do you think it is dangerous when we tie our self-worth to some kind of identity? Well, yes. In the context of feeling the pressures from the outside, right? What others assume is right for us. Because my original intent growing up, I wanted to be an English teacher. I wanted to, uh, you know, take on, uh, I wanted to be an attorney or law school. So there were all these other goals. But the name Amelia Earhart, the pressures that I felt from the outside almost made me feel like not only would I be letting down myself, the adults around me, these outsiders, but also this legacy of something so much bigger than myself. And I'm glad that I felt that pressure now, but I think going through it the first time, I probably laid it on a little too thick. And I want to kind of apologize to my former self for that because I made it sound like if I didn't complete this flight around the world, I wouldn't be valuable. But I see now how much it's added, but I would have been fine without it too. Yeah. And in this identity space, you know, I think it is like you've just reflected, it could be dangerous that if you didn't measure up to what society expected from what that, that name, that you were going to not be valuable. Also think about the identity that we women also tie to ourselves as an executive, a business owner, a mother. And we sometimes 
identify ourselves in that in a way that if we aren't successful, we aren't valuable. And that's dangerous, isn't it? It is dangerous because I'll tell you what, the second I finished my flight around the world, right? The immediate thought that came into my head was what's next, right? So there isn't necessarily um, a destination to reach. And we all know that cliche and it's cliche for a reason because it is so true, right? The, the evolution of who are, who we choose to be and who we'll become, it truly does lie in the only choice we have control over, which is the choice we're making right now, which now for me is you know, figuring out who Amelia Rose Earhart is. And that came from completing the flight around the world, which silenced the outsiders. And now that's allowed me to turn the volume up so much more on what's going on inside of myself as an individual, as somebody who can now identify this name with a whole new set of traits now that I've gotten through that hard part. Sure. And I want to stay in this identity idea a little bit longer because you told me that to walk a hero's journey, that your identity has to be stripped away. Explain what you meant by this. Well, in Joseph Campbell's understanding and description of the hero's journey, we have to go away. We have to leave home with the uh, you know, uncertainty of the outside world and the uncharted territory and be shaken to our core and tested to the level of seeing who we are when times get tough, right? We have to be challenged and stripped down to rebuild. And that resilience is where others find hope and sort of latch on to our stories, right? So with me, I feel like getting to the point where I really understood, okay, my name is Amelia Earhart. I believed I was related. And then the storm of my life comes along where I found out that I wasn't even related to this person. It was just sort of a family story that had been passed on. And then a sort of misguided genealogical report that came into my life um, and then eventually finding out right before my flight around the world was about to launch that I wasn't actually related to this person. I was being called a liar and a fraud and being told that I didn't deserve to fly because Amelia wouldn't even want it to be associated with me. Because I think the view from the outside is people always want to assume all in, right? They're either all in on how much they think you can do, as in you can fly around the world someday. But the second there's a hint of um, something they can't trust, it goes the opposite direction, right? Um, it, it, you you don't deserve to fly around the world. You you We don't even want to allow you to do it. I hope that makes sense in that I had to realize that when I was being told both of those things at the very same time, they cancel each other out, right? As in a scientific, you know, as in a way I can break everything down, right? If this is true and this is true and these are equal, then they cancel each other out, which left me with the decision to make for myself. And that's when I decided it was more important that I relate to Amelia as opposed to being related to her. Because to relate to another woman that I look up to, like yourself or, or someone else or a role model in your life, you know, to relate to that person is to act in a way that you feel they would, right? How would they take on a challenging situation? And that's where I really became my family. So I'm going to continue on this, this something you just said. So others often make judgments about you, and you reflected on that just a moment ago. So how do you deal with judgment so it doesn't crush your spirit to succeed? You know, I have to say that I've done a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us have, so. <laughs> right? And I'm so proud that we can all say that now and, and that it's so uh, such a badge of honor to be able to, to wear that with pride because... Here's the thing. 
as many of your other guests, as I was listening to your podcast, I heard your other guests say people weren't thinking about me as much as I thought they were, right? So I realized that the comments that stung the most were the ones that probably had some level of truth within me. And that gave me a direct indicator in terms of where I needed to look deeper, what issues I needed to challenge and address within myself before I could recover. And for me, of course, the comments that hurt the most when I found out that I was not related to Amelia, the ones that hurt the most said, you should have looked deeper. And I knew that, right? Because I knew that when my first genealogical report that I paid for in my college year, paying my way through tuition and flight school, and then this $500 bill as a college student, right? Which, you know, it hits you just out of nowhere, but you have to figure out how to do it. So I paid for a genealogical report. And when that report came back to me and the genealogist said, Amelia, I know you are related to the first Amelia, but I can't show you the pinpoint connection unless we go into those European records and it'll be $3,500, whatever it was. And I said, I just can't afford that right now. And it stung me to have to say that. And from that moment in my 20s, all the way up until my flight around the world in 2014, I knew that I should have looked deeper. And so when I read those comments on Twitter saying, Amelia, you should have investigated, you're, you're, you're being inaccurate. I had to look and address, why didn't I do that? Because I was scared to find the outcome. I knew that my parents didn't really have the resources or the investment and their interest in that last name to truly look into it. They were just proud to have that very conversational connection to an American hero. And I know that when I accepted that their intentions were good, they gave me this name with the best of intentions in mind. I grew up with it and it was my burden to look into it. So I wished I would have done it sooner, but the way I found out allowed me to challenge myself, get comfortable with it and do it in a very public forum because all this happened when I was a TV news broadcaster here in Denver and the Today Show was where it all took place. So as you can imagine, Social media was pretty harsh, but now I just feel like I can take a little more. You know, I realize that those comments are coming from hurtful places as well. And over the last year in our country and certainly across the world, there's been high levels of turbulence and uncertainty for everyone. So for you, how has your pilot training helped you cope with such turbulence? Um, So glad you brought up the turbulence analogy because it's been such a motto in my life. I think of turbulence as any challenge that you can sort of see looming and building in the distance, right? A storm that starts off as maybe a small problem, but you kind of ignore it and get closer and closer to it. It builds and builds. And I think that's what the last year has certainly felt like, right? We're in the middle of the storm. We can't even see the other side. So for me, pilot training has given me a lot of it's it's given me the ability to ground myself, keep my anxiety levels lower. It's also given me the ability to try new things within this changed environment. Because when in January 2020, the pandemic hit, we will call it March, March 2020, the map we were all following for so many years was basically ripped up, thrown out the window. And here we are just kind of all cruising around, looking around, going, oh my gosh, what's next? So for me as a pilot, I thought, okay, when I lose radar or lose communication or I I don't understand where I am in my airspace, I've got multiple ways, multiple redundancies built into my systems that I can use to intelligently figure out where I'm at and where I need to go next. And so for me, I immediately started looking at my budget. I started looking at my happiness levels, how I was fueling my 
you know, willingness to get up and do the job that I was doing at the time. Going into the pandemic, I was still working in television. And I actually left that job in the middle of all of this because I kind of crafted my own unique flight plan going forward. And it seems to be working really well because I know you can appreciate this. I'm finally being myself 24 hours a day. As you describe that place of turbulence, I think it is important, at least I have found for myself, to find a place or a method of anchoring yourself, because if not, you are truly just bouncing around in the winds. Yes, you're right. And turbulence, the reason it's so unsettling is because it involves your senses, right? It kind of catches you off guard. And I I love to equate the similarities to when you're driving along the road and you're just kind of, you know, listening to a song, maybe you're in a good mood, you're cruising along and suddenly, suddenly you hit a significant pothole and your car doesn't break, but boy, you are very aware that you are driving, right? You're, you're, you're gripping tighter. You're looking around going, man, my, my taxpayer dollars, you know, they fix these roads. You're more aware of everything in your environment. And so for me, when I start to feel those ripples of turbulence and they come in the form of the anxiety or the fear or the, you know, maybe the conflicts I'm getting into, the communication struggles that I'm having, those are blips early on the radar, the turbulence that's approaching. And if I don't pay attention to those early ruts, the other ones are just going to keep hitting me and keep hitting me. But if I address the issues early on, I can steer my way around those storms choose my own new path, right? Because compared to other situations that we find ourselves in, right? If we think of things in the context of an airplane, we're not locked on train tracks up there. We've got an entire compass to navigate from. And I think too often we can go into that habit of north, south, east, and west. North is the way it's easy, easiest to go. I think true north. And do you mind if I expand on this concept right now? Oh, please. I'd love to hear it. Go right ahead. So it's a big part of everything I speak about and and do and tie to aviation because a compass has 360 degrees. Most of us only see four, right? We see true north. That's the way we're born. That's kind of our our natural inclination. And some folks never veer off that path, the most hard-headed amongst us. And then the rest of us will get to, okay, we can make right-hand turns. We can turn on a grid, right? We can work our way slowly and methodically around problems. But to get to the true agility that I think I'm striving to reach towards in terms of how I approach difficult situations and new challenges and creativity, especially, is when you get off that grid and you start thinking, okay, not only are there 360 degrees on my compass, all these different options that I can try to reach my path, but then also through course correction, you can always change your path. So rather that rigid I must fly around the world. I must have a TV career that makes X amount of dollars each and every year. I'm willing to bend in certain directions and stay flexible. And instead of rely on that autopilot, which so many people want, when people say they are on autopilot, that is a straight line. But when you're hand flying your airplane and you're really making those choices day to day and staying true to your course, that's when you have to turn the autopilot off because you're aware of all those sensations. You're turning gradually and slowly and and really noticing what's happening around you. Yeah, and your whole situational awareness cranks up a notch, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah, because you're feeling how your input controls on that airplane, how they actually improve 
or make your situation worse. Yeah. And I think so often, Amelia, we do go through life on autopilot. It, it feels like a safe place, but it's really not a safe place. We get bombarded with surprises. We get knocked off course and don't know how to get ourselves back. All kinds of things happen. So to fly around the world didn't just require practical preparation. It also required mental toughness. So describe the mental toughness you had to develop and what lessons there might be in this for other women leaders. Oh, I love this one because people ask me all the time, were you scared to fly around the world? Because the aircraft that I flew only had one single engine. It was the Pilatus PC-12 NG. So one engine, if that one, one engine fails and you're over the water for eight hours and there's nowhere to land, which 80% of my flight was that way. You have to simply rely on the inputs and the controls and the readings of what your aircraft is telling you. So in my situation, I had to train my brain <laughs> to basically stay as focused as possible in the event of an emergency. And I'll use the example of open water survival training. I went to Groton, Connecticut, and I was basically put into a fuselage of an airplane that had been turned into this contraption that would be lowered into a pool of water, flipped upside down to simulate a plane crash. I would then have to use touch points and sensations underwater, upside down, holding my breath to figure out how to get out of this plane, push the window out, get my passengers out as well. And that was all to prepare myself so that in the event of an emergency, and when fight or flight kicks in, I was able to go through my checklist and say, okay, I've seen this before. I know where to reach for my safety gear. I know how to get my flight suit on or my, my water suit on to stay as warm as possible. I know how to use a flare. We practice all these things. And while that sounds like a crazy story and, you know, it, it's, it's fun to share at parties, <laughs> there is a really practical takeaway for everyone within this. And that is... The reason pilots go through training like this and all flight crews do is so that they can eliminate variables. And when we fear what could go wrong towards any goals, so if you can plan out what your biggest aspiration, whatever you have in mind, start listing out, okay, what's out there? What could slow me down? When you start to investigate and try to mentally put yourself in that situation, you can identify exactly where your emotions are creating maybe uh, just, I feel like our emotions can get in the way of truly understanding what's holding us back because I was able to look and say, okay, my body can't handle this, this, and this, but it can't handle this, right? But if in the event of an emergency, I'm trying to figure that out while I'm taking in all this new information, it makes it really tough. So I like to spend as much time learning about the things that I love, as much time as I do learning about the things that I hate or that I fear. So I'll watch about, you know, how to survive on a very limited budget. If I want to know, could I really make that? If I, if, if everything bad that I'm possibly imagining took place, could I really make it happen? And most of the time you can. And it's really about just examining it just maybe 10% further than most other people will. I think that's a beautiful way to describe it. And I'm going to stay with this just one more second, because something I've heard from many of the incredible women that I've interviewed on this platform is that they have a very strong connection to the feeling of competence connecting to their sense of confidence. And that kind of goes with what you just said, that this knowledge is power in that you do develop an ability to be very competent in whatever you're going after. And through that, 
the confidence comes. It's almost not the other way around. It's tough to fake confidence. Oh, <laughs> I am so glad you said that. It's so true. Confidence, confidence comes from being at ease, right? And so when you are trying new things, that's that's the best indicator, right? The the trying new things, that fear that comes up, to know that that fear is there, that's what grants you the ability to get to comfort. You know, if something is just comfortable right away, great. That's that's easy. That's that's time to relax. But I really noticed it early on in my flight training, I would get just so attentive and so fixated on making sure that everything that I could control in that environment of so many variables, right? Just learning as much as I could to prepare myself to try to feel as comfortable as possible. That was like a, it was a really neat um, goal to chase. And it kept, it kept every single point along my process um, very energetic. It was easy to get excited about it because the consequences were so high. And I think that when we state our goals out loud, when we want to reach a certain destination within a level of training, I think that that can be something to kind of reinvigorate ourselves and remind us why we do the things we do. So how a woman talks to herself can make or break how successful she is. So what does your self-talk sound like? And has it been different over the years? You know, I love, <laughs> I'm not even sure where it came from, but really, I'm going to say in my teenage years, somebody mentioned to me that the second thought is always yours. And to me, that means, okay, I've got one thought that whatever reaction I'm going to initially have to a situation, whatever self-talk I may respond to myself with, okay, that naturally comes in. And the first one, okay, I'll give it a break. I'm not going to beat myself up over that. But if I agree with that thought and it's negative, that's where I kind of agree to this contract of keeping that negative self-talk going. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to just look myself in the mirror, right? Here in my studio, I have a big mirror right in front of the window, right? Great light is important to me. I try to keep my space as happy as possible to keep it inviting in a space where I really want to work. But I have to look at myself and say, the second thought is always yours. And that means... Am I using the knowledge that I have to really give a pilot-like assessment of what's really happening here? Because if I look at the facts, I'm doing just fine. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. My bills are paid. I'm working towards my goal at an even pace, and I'm doing my best. But if I notice that I'm not making the mark in certain areas, that's my exact indication. It's like an instant to-do list of what I need to do to feel better. Because I think it's Mel Robbins who says that that if you're problem can be solved with action, then you don't have a problem. So get to it. And I hate to make it that simple, but that's what pilots do. And that's what aviation is. That's why it's such a safe world is because there's not a lot of room for, oh, I feel this or I feel that. And and not that I don't live in a world of emotion, but when I take action, that's when I found the most success and it does seem to work. Yeah. And our emotions sometimes can keep us from taking action or it can get us bogged down in an action that is not productive for us. So often, Amelia, we spend ample amounts of talking about where we came from, but you believe that we should instead spend time talking about where we're flying to. So what advice would you give to others about looking forward as opposed to looking back? I've been thinking a lot about this lately because in 2020 and 2021, we were forced to look at the present, right? And now I think while we've been held back, we can all appreciate how exciting it is to look forward. What's coming next? What's the next stage, the next trip, the next 
growth, the next wedding, whatever it's going to be, right? And so I think we're all in a natural state of where I've been kind of naturally as a person my whole life. Growing up the way that I did, right? My parents didn't have a lot of extra cash, but they were hard workers and they wanted the best for me, right? So that intention was there. And they were all about, don't be bored, you know, find your interests, stay creative, get outside, go do something exciting, right? Look forward, always find it. If you're, if you feel like you're lacking something, the access lies within you. So I do thank my parents for that. And so now that we're all looking forward, I think it's time to really start thinking about our goals and what's next the same exact way that I did when it came to making this flight around the world. And it starts with a flight plan. As simple as that sounds, or as complicated as that sounds, it really is about, okay, where we are now and where we want to get to. And within that, whatever category it may fall into, whatever the goal may be, there is literally a series of steps and access points that will gain you access to reaching your destination. Some are a thousand steps, some are five steps, some are 30 steps. It just depends on how connected, how um, much understanding you have, right? That it'll take to get there. And if you chop a few of those off each and every day, you're going forward, right? Planes don't really have a reverse mode. We can't just throw it in reverse. We can slow things down and circle in a holding pattern. And that's what we've done over the last year. We have been circling around. We've been in this kind of stalled situation where forces out of our control have said, no, you can't fly any further. You just need to slow it all down and fly as long as you can, right? We're all ready to, we're ready to go forward. We want to see what's next. We've seen this view. We're probably not too interested in going back because we've had all this time for self-reflection, right? We realize that a lot of the patterns we fall into probably don't suit us going forward. So take that momentum and use that to fuel your curiosity about just researching things in a very casual fashion, because that's how my flight began. It was a few Google searches, it was a few emails. One thing led to the next. Next thing you know, I'm communicating with teams like Honeywell Aerospace and talking about uh, SATCOM installations with companies that are communicating with satellites to ensure that I can have Wi-Fi over the ocean. I mean, one simple step truly led, led me all the way around the world. All the way around the world. So, Amelia, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Oh, so many things. But I think one that really resonates lately and one that I keep referring to because I think the lesson, too, is the one that I need to hear the most. When I was training early on in my flight lessons, there's a certain number of lessons you have to do in the dark to qualify to get your private pilot's license. And... I remember flying out with an instructor who wasn't really too impressed with this whole Amelia Earhart thing, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, someday maybe you'll fly around the world. Yeah, right. I hear that from all my, you know, flight students who may come through. And so we're doing this night flight and we go way out to Eastern Colorado, basically like the Kansas state line and we land the plane and he hops out and I stay inside because I'm, I'm new to flying. I'm kind of inexperienced. He hops out. I'm kind of waiting. Okay, we're going to fuel up and we're going to head back to Boulder. And he stands out there and he just waits. And so I get the clue very quickly. Okay, it's time to go out there. He clearly wants me to do something. And he goes, Amelia, just because your name is Amelia Earhart, do you think that someone's just going to show up and refuel this airplane for you? He said, if you want to be the type of pilot who is someday going to fly all the way around the world, 
you need to be the type of pilot who can refuel her own plane, right? That first tank of gas will get you so far. But unless you're willing to find the resources to power what it takes to get you off the ground, and not just in that spike of excitement in the early newness of any project, you've got to refuel your tank, get it full, but then learn how to manage that fuel. Because if I flew all the way around the world at full engine power, I would have burned out. I needed to know how to pace myself, how to maintain all of my systems and all the different parts of my brain and my mind and all the different needs that we, we have as humans, right? You have to balance all of those. But so often we can see a project, you want to go full steam all the way there. And that's why we burn out. So being able to refuel your own tank to me means being willing to learn how to do it because there in the darkness, this old instructor shows me how to get the ladder out of the shed, use this analog credit card machine to fuel up the airplane. We're climbing up on top of the wing in the dark. And then after that, I knew that if I had that one tank of gas, I could get to the next destination, figure out where I wanted to go next and do it without the permission of others. So for me, it comes down to being very self-sufficient and being unafraid to get your hands a little dirty, learn new things and be willing, especially in these times of all this new opportunity to look around and ask for more details because gosh, the things I'm curious about, the whole world is just an email away. That's how connected we are. So opportunities like this, especially, I feel like this is what it's all going to feel like going forward. And I hope I hope that everyone can experience that in their own way. Yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I am so grateful for you to share all this wisdom that you have worked hard to earn and the incredible journey that you've already had through your life. And you have so much more excitement to come ahead of you. I, I can't wait to see how it's going to unfold. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. And I have been telling everybody about you and your podcast. So thank well, please you. share it. Please <laughs> do. And Amelia is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. <laughs> 